Welcome to episode 60 of On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. The Ohio Hockey Digest is the foremost location for hockey in Ohio. Covering every level, played from youth and high school to juniors, college, and pro. Articles written to keep the hockey community up to date on all the happenings with hockey in Ohio. My name is Tim Sullivan. I'm joined by Jay Slavandowski, Scott Harrington, and producer Dan Humphrey. With On Air, we are bringing you fresh content and adding voices, names, and faces to interesting people making the Ohio hockey community better. Well, last week, Scott and Dan made it known that it was a skeleton crew, uh, and they had a trio of representatives from the Cincinnati Cyclones, veteran ECHL head coach Matt Thomas and rookie broadcaster Andrew Mossbrooks and Jim Mitchell, the head coach of the GM and the GM of the USPHL's newest franchise, the Cincinnati Junior Cyclones. So, boys, uh, Love and I will sit back since we listened to the podcast and, and I'm going to get on you, Danny, here uh, when we start to break it down a little I, bit. I knew that one was coming. So uh, it was a great conversation. I really enjoyed listening to it. But you guys, hey, take the reins. Why don't you guys talk about it? Well, I thought it was uh, uh, very cool talking to the guys from the Cyclones. We haven't talked to anybody down there yet um, with that organization. So um, after 18 months or whatever it is, of downtime they're finally getting back in the game so they're very excited down there and i think it's a pretty cool thing they got going with the uh with the uh the pro team working in concert with the uh, the new junior team uh to uh promote the game down there and uh add another team to the usphl footprint here in the region now we have six teams uh in that league in our um in our coverage area and it seems like they're getting a lot of support from the from the pro team there as well. So I thought it was a great conversation. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a good conversation. Um, I pointed out last week, but I, to me, what kind of caught me, you know, off guard or by surprise the most was, um, you know, talking to coach about how they set, you know, didn't have a season last year and how he was feeling coming into this upcoming season. Um, and, you know, I know how we as coaches feel just after a typical off season and we're coming in and, you know, we get, I have Lev texting me at three in the morning, how fired up he is. He's ready to go. And, you know, coach kind of, he had that, that edge to him, but he also was looking at it through a different lens of, you know, an extra season of NCAA eligibility got added on. So the typical players that you go and recruit for the ECHL may not be there this year because they're staying that you know, that fifth year. So uh, just again, very interesting to see how the trickle down effect of everything related to uh, COVID is kind of, you know, falling into place right now. Yep. And 18 uh, Ohio kids playing on the uh, junior cyclones first year. So that's, that's good too. Yeah. That that's really impressive. I mean, it's, it's another, we have another option here for Ohio guys uh, to be able to play at the next level. So uh, you guys did a great job. 
Uh, and Danny, yeah, you and I will have some conversation here after we uh, get going here because uh, you kind of chirped me a little bit here, and I'm not I'm not quite sure I enjoyed that, but big timed. Believe yeah, you, uh, you called us, you know, you big timed us. I didn't big time you, man. I got a job to do, bro. I got a job, but we'll, we'll talk in a minute about that. Well, this week's show should be another good one. Anyone who's ever watched the Columbus Blue Jackets on TV has enjoyed the on-air presence of our next guest. They've also enjoyed his on-ice presence as well. This week, we get to talk to Jody Shelley of the Columbus Blue Jackets. It's going to be a fun show uh, tonight. I tell you what, I look forward to talking to Jody. Uh, there's a lot of YouTube videos of Jody Shelley out there. Well, there's, you know, the one that came up today with him and a, another guest of ours getting a, having a verbal altercation, if you will, Mr. Mike Rupp. Um, but the fact of, you know, another Columbus uh, alum staying in town and, and you know, after uh, going from, what is he, San Jose, uh, the Rangers, Philadelphia, he came back to Columbus as an ambassador for the Blue Jackets. It's a nice thing to uh, have the local boy back, and he's doing a heck of a job on TV uh, transitioning from his playing career. Yeah, look forward to talking to him. But before we talk to him, uh, let's hey, since we're all back together and it's not a skeleton crew, as our boss says, uh, let's kind of see what's going on with the boys. Lev. Hi. Hi. How are you? Hello, love. Hello, love. Where you been, man? Oh, this man. I'll tell you what. The last uh, week, well, a little. I was actually gone before I was like, gone. API. Uh, I was in Pennsylvania technology at a cabin there, specifically for uh, just enjoying hockey. the nice quiet with the boys. There was about 10 of us, from video so it wasn't analytics. very quiet. No, not whatsoever. Uh, we, we had a bear sighting. Is this the place where you where you sleep in your banana hammock? Yeah, yeah. I put my banana hammock on and I sleep in my banana hammock. Yes. I sleep well, in a hammock when I'm there. With Every a, time I talk to you, I get the cops. Why with, is that? I don't know. <laughs> with, a, with a brisket smoking 15 feet away from me. No wonder you saw a bear. Yeah, well, he was there. He got into the garbage at the uh, one side of the pond, and a couple guys were coming back from the from the main house and coming back to our cabin, and, uh, well, the bear was in the path. So they had to scare him off and uh, some other things. You know, I'd like to give a shout-out to uh, some guys that helped us out while we were there. Uh, Butch Brown. Like to say hi to Butch. Thanks for stopping by. Uh, there was uh, Craig Phoenix and Roosevelt Simpson. Thanks for stopping by. You guys were a good time that night. Thanks for uh, coming out and enjoying it with the boys. Any other questions about my banana hammock? Where, where this your farm? I've been to your farm. It's you've a great been, time. Uh, and one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my entire life is you, we all know this story. Like Saturdays are for the boys. Uh -huh. Well, this guy from Toledo. And your, your farm's in Dubois, Pennsylvania. Dubois, Pennsylvania. Uh, yes, I'll, I'll just tell you that's where it is. And this guy from Toledo has this, I don't know, he like checks the weather or whatever, does like these little... Like he and, drives around and yeah. gives a weather report from wherever he is. And he goes, he's standing in Dubois by the Dubois City uh, sign. And he's like, I know Saturdays are for the boys, but Tuesdays are for Dubois. Right. <laughs> yes. So great. So we're 35 miles uh, uh, north of Dubois. Yes. Okay. So uh, you're in the greater Dubois uh, area. Oh yeah. Oh, it's it's unbelievable. We are outside of that. Yes. So uh, it's rural. You told me the story that. Uh, so for those of you that I mean, we're talking like old school farm. Yes. There is zero. It's a tree farm. There is zero. Uh, like, I mean, there's sanitation, but it's not. There's no plumbing. Well, at the cabin, we have we have running water. We I, we we have a shower. I took a shower, uh, but we can also go in the pond, which we do numerous times. Sure. But we have uh, no plumbing, like no toiletries, in 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 the cabin. So there's an outhouse, 
It's a legit outhouse. Like you, like it's out, it's out. Well, the funny part is so when you go to the, use the facilities there, uh, it's a very nice feature to just leave the door wide open and you're just having a sit down in nature. Well, there's one uh, friend of ours that uh, he doesn't like to have a sit down with clothes on. So he sits in there and with not, not a stitch on and the guys always get their phones out and interview him while he's sitting down. But no, it's a good time. Okay. So All yeah, right. no, it was there. So, was there so did you told me a story you got a little wet in the banana hammock? Uh, yeah. So my rain uh, fly, if you will, uh, the rain tarp that goes over my hammock uh, had come unattached from the stake and was just laying on the side of my hammock. So water was running right into the hammock. Well, unbeknownst to me, uh, I'd like to thank High Noon. I'd like to thank uh, New Amsterdam Vodka, Pink Whitney, Crown <laughs> uh, Royal. No, no free ads. No free ads whatsoever. Uh, I jumped in my hammock about, I don't know, three o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, I could. Yeah, all right. I'm going to sleep. So that was at three. At 4.30, I woke up and rubbed my hand down my entire back, uh, top to bottom, soaking wet. So apparently, uh, water was running directly into my hammock, onto my sleeping bag, onto my sleeping pad. So I went in the house. To which all you heard was. Well, I'm sure 10 guys uh, yeah. of our age, middle age, I'm sure they're bringing the, the house down. Oh, yeah. It was, so. it was, it was rocking. Scott, what about you? Uh, pretty quiet weekend. Mrs. Harrington and I went to the pool. So my son is, uh, he's 15. So he's kind of at that the age. Fact he calls her Mrs. Harrington. Where it's, it's, I feel like she's made up. <laughs> he's, too, he's too cool to go to the pool. Did you go to Bay Pool? Uh, yeah. What day? Saturday. It's not open on Sunday. Well, Saturday. I know. Yeah. Well, no, you lose the land. Right. Saturday. What What time? Uh, like 12 to 2, something like that. Oh, okay. Because yeah. because my daughter worked from 4 to 9, th- 9 o'clock. Oh, really? Yeah. She's, she's in the concession stand selling okay. you nice hot dogs and pizza. Right. I got a couple slices of pizza. Well, we went. So I keep bugging my son because it was 90 degrees every day for a week or so. I'm like, go to the pool. Go to the pool because he's not doing anything during the day. Right. And finally on Saturday, I'm like, well, I'm going to the pool. If you don't want to go, fine, we'll go. So now, do you have a pass to the pool? No, no, you just, just first time. I'm yeah, only okay. Around. Did you go down the slide? I did. They weren't open at first because they like every place else. They didn't have enough. Yeah, they don't have help. enough workers. Yeah, yeah. But I'm sure that's mostly college kids going back to school. But so I we went down there and we had a couple of the, uh, you know, I mentioned we go to uh, La Plaza, no free ads to get the guacamole. Right. They also have you know those icy freeze things or whatever they used to call them when you're a kid, like the plastic thing with the liquid in it, you put it in the freezer. Yeah. Those things you are delicious. The end off. Yeah. They have them there with vodka in them. Yeah. They had truly, we had those this week too. Yeah. How do, how do they freeze, freeze if they have uh vodka in them? I don't know. They don't completely free, but it's, you know, right. Refreshing. Okay. Refreshing so, it so I had a couple of those and then uh, just fell asleep with my shirt off on the thing. Oh no. And just, I'm pretty burned up. Yeah. Yeah. My, my <laughs> forehead's already starting to peel. <laughs> It was pretty bad. It was like one of those movies, you know, the you know the clock is yeah, 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 yeah. It was bad, but uh, that was nice. That was fun. <clears throat> Were you relaxed? Yeah, it's very relaxed. Oh my gosh, that's a nice pool, man. It is. Good so pool. you went down? Did you go down the speed slide or the, yeah, the, the curvy one? Speed slide. Yeah. Yeah. Did you go well, I, did bu- I went through uh, bubble. Yeah. Did you go off the high dive? That was not open. I would have done it. I wouldn't have dove off it. I would have jumped off it, but I would have done it. Yeah. He would have looked like a full, Rodney, Rodney Dangerfield. Off yeah. of Triple in <laughs> the, the, the old full send. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Well, I mean, let's get to Danny first. Cause I'm going to, I'm really uh, going to get after D, D here. And by uh, the way, Hey, I just want to say this. I'm glad that you took my, my advice and you went to rocking on the river. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm glad you did that. Great so, show. Yeah. Awesome show. So and they uh, got Motley Crue and Ozzy Osbourne next week. You got to see the back you, for that. You got to see the Journey uh, tribute band. They're unbelievable. All right. They're unbelievable. So did did you hit the food trucks and all that up? Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. It's a good time over yep. there. I'm glad you took my no advice. Free no free ads. No free. No free ads. No, but it's it's still a good time. Yeah. Danny, uh, you're not live in the studio with us. You're uh, at home uh, because uh, your son has third degree burns on his hands because you are not doing a good job of watching him at the uh, at the grill. But but go ahead. All right. Uh, thanks for that introduction, Denise. Um, <laughs> Long time listener, first time caller. Go ahead. No. So obviously you listened and uh, the burns have uh, the blisters have popped. So now we just have skin flapping on the fingers. Um, I didn't get into you know much detail about when he burnt his hands, but obviously it was the first time he ever burnt his fingers. Right. I mean, he's ever burnt anything. We all know how it feels. So that whole night he was just running around with his hands, just shaking them like this, you know, trying to cool them off. And it just, nothing was, nothing was happening. Those of you at home, Danny's waving his hand up and down. Um, yeah, we haven't launched the YouTube channel yet. Scott won't let us. So (laughs) coming next, but, uh, I made some pickles. So those came out well. Now, how long did you just put him in the refrigerator and let him sit like for like 36 hours? Yeah. So, uh, simmered up the brine, kind of followed somewhat of a recipe and then just started adding some random stuff and then let him sit for about 36 hours. First time I tasted them was a, uh, a night that, uh, Mrs. Humphrey and I came home after being out without the baby. So, they were phenomenal that night, and then next day, you know, they were a little, little too vinegary, but they still came out very well. Good, good, good. Well, uh, I'm sure, uh, as everyone, you're starting to jam back up at school. Um, so, hey, as Dan mentioned last week, um, I did say that I'd be back after my uh, July of Tim, and I did take last week off because of uh, work. I mean, there is this thing called a job. So I, I felt it was kind of inappropriate for Danny to chirp me last week, Jay. But Ooh, part-time over there? Look at him. Thanks for coming tonight. So anyhow, I got chirped last week about not being there. And, uh, and, and you're right. I did say I'd be there, but uh, I did have to work. Uh, this past week's been kind of crazy uh, with work. I will tell you this, though. We had bad storms last week. I know hey, Bay Village got hammered. Uh I lost my front tree and my glass table on my deck. Really? Um, yeah, it was bad. It was bad. Did the table? Did the table just break, or did it like blow away? No, 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 no. It shattered. Okay. So the you know that table on my deck, Danny. You know that glass one. So (laughs) the umbrella was down. It was still in there. It was on the you know in the base. But wind. I mean that we we have like eighty mile an hour winds come through. Mm The wind must have got underneath it. It didn't open it up all the way, but it opened it up enough to take the table for a ride like Mary Poppins and then just shattered it. So, uh, so yeah, it's been a long week, but that's, it's not why I wasn't here. I mean, I wasn't here because I had to work that uh, last Tuesday, but, um, but my plan is to be back now full time. <laughs> We're going to hold you to that. <laughs> so um, on the, on the storm, I don't know if you saw the one where the, uh, the tree was pulled up out of the ground and took the fence with it. That was on the, it was on the news and stuff. That's oh. like two blocks from my house. Really? But I feel bad. Cause I, uh, 
not only do we not have any damage, I mean, it had to pick up some sticks and stuff, but we didn't lose any trees. But my son had gotten the frisbee stuck on the roof a week prior, and that blew off. So oh. I actually, I actually came out ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so we were in, we were at school, uh, and where we were holding freshman parent orientation. Behind us was all glass, so it's all windows. And it's just huge. I mean, it's like a three-story uh, common area. And so the administration was up there talking. And in the middle of the conversation, the storm was happening. A 45-foot tree got derooted in the front yard. That's crazy. That's insane. I mean, our, our principal was talking. All of a sudden, everyone's like, oh! <laughs> and I'm like, what? Because I can't see behind me. I'm like, what are these people yelling about? It was insane. So they came in and they, they had to cut this tree. I mean, it, this whoever this company did came in and cut it down real quick. So. And all that damage is in like 10 minutes because that was a quick storm. It was a quick storm. If that was an hour storm, oh. we would have been much worse. So then Friday night, the rain came again. And I maybe I'll, I'll send you a picture to put up on, online so these people can, our listeners can understand. My entire development was flooded from the backyards to the, the street was flooded too. We were on, like our houses were islands. It was insane. Wow. Like people are, are, thank God my basement didn't flood, but basements were flooding with people that had electricity with two sub pumps running and they just couldn't do it. Here's the, here's the, the crap part of the whole story is the city I live in came this past summer, this summer and dredged out the storm uh, creek to make it wider and deeper so that didn't happen. And so I was talking to one of the guys that works for the city who I know personally, and I mean, I don't want to say his name, but Jimbo, uh, Jimbo said, if, because he was the lead on this, he goes, if your development floods, I'm resigning because this, this thing will never flood again. I texted him Friday night. I said, get the letter of re uh, resignation going, man. <laughs> so, well, with everything going on, school's coming back. I would hope that we're going to go back full time, but we'll see what's going to happen with all this stuff going on. Uh, let's see what's going on in the news of the Ohio Hockey Digest. The Ohio High School Athletic Association Coaches Advisory Committee for Ice Hockey met on July 26th, and the possibility of creating multiple, multiple divisions of competition was one of the items on the agenda. The Ohio High School Athletic Association has not responded to the Ohio Hockey Digest request to be briefed on the outcome of the meeting, but one coach reported that the committee has been tasked with creating a referendum to be presented for a vote among a full membership of the Ohio High School Athletic Association. It is not clear at this time what exactly that would be would involve, who's taking the lead, or what the time frame might be. One coach called the process very discouraging. Stay tuned for more on this story in the upcoming weeks. The only thing I can say about this is we all, as coaches and athletic directors, did receive an email, and uh, we had to we had to place it whether we were a coach or whether we were a AD. And there was like a series of four or five questions about how, you know, would you prefer two divisions? If there was a third division, could, would you do that? Would you want to keep it the way it is? If there wasn't a, a change, would you leave the Ohio High School Athletic Association? So we did get that, um, but I haven't heard uh, the results of that. That wasn't from the Ohio. High School no, Athletic no, that wasn't from the, no, that was from the coaches uh, uh, committee. Right. right. So that was. I think that was, I think that's part of the referendum, the information that uh, is being asked of us on that committee. So, so that's all I got to say about it. I, I really have nothing else to say 
about it because there's really nothing else to say unless the Ohio High School Athletic Association wants to work with the Coaches Association in actually making this work, or is it just a, well, okay, do this work, do this work, do this work. It's almost like, yeah, take those rocks, move them over there, right. and the next day move them over there. But it's and, a really big rock that you got to think about whether you really want to bother moving it. Right. Yeah. At so. this point, well, why would you want to move it if you know that it's not going to create a building? Right. I mean, if you know those stones aren't going to aren't going to create a building or aren't going to create something, why are you going to move them? Exactly. Ohio AAA Blue Jackets 16U forward Will Elger announced his commitment to Providence College over the weekend. Well, he will play for head coach Nate Lehman. Elger says. Lehman approached him personally, and a visit to the Providence College campus sealed the deal. Yeah, so I was up in Connecticut at my advisor's camp, and uh, Coach Lehman was there. And after skating, he grabbed me and asked, asked me a few questions, and then I ended up going and visiting <clears throat> visiting there. And I really, really liked the campus, and I really liked the coach coaches there. So I just ended up deciding to go there. And I thought it'd be a really, really good fit for me. And I'm really excited to be a part of it. Elger was selected by the Tri-City Storm in the 2020 USHL Futures Draft and was drafted again in 2021 by the North American Hockey League's Johnstown Tomahawks, giving him some development options for the upcoming season. Yeah, I'll start out in Tri-City, which I move out here really soon in about a week. And I'll go out there, have training camp, and see what happens with that. If all goes well, I'll stay there play some games if uh, I'm not getting like enough time or whatever the case may be there. I'll go to Johnstown and maybe get called up for a few games with Tri-City throughout the year. And then if I'm at Johnstown, I'll play at Tri-City the following year. But if not, I'll just play at Tri-City again with plans of going to Providence my uh, freshman year. My true freshman year, but if I need to take that extra year, no worries. I can always do that. Elger put up 90 points over 114 games over the last two seasons playing for coach Ed Ginger, who says he can see why a program like Providence College would be interested in Elger. The roller coaster at Robert Morris University continues. After being told on short notice that the men's and women's programs were being cut, then being given, given some hope in July that the Colonials could be on the ice this fall if certain fundraising goals were met, the university announced in an August 12th press release that neither team will operate this winter. The Pittsburgh College Hockey Foundation's board director, Brianne McLaughlin, explains. First of all, I heard all of this was going on. We had formed the Pittsburgh College Hockey Foundation, and we spent all summer fundraising, fundraising, fundraising. We finally met with the university in July sometime, and uh, they had given us that deadline for the end of the month to raise they didn't really give us a specific number, but significant funds uh, to move forward and see if reinstating the programs would be a possibility. Uh, I think we came very, very close. And then with further breakdowns on their end, um, decided we needed a little bit more funds than what we had raised. So where we currently sit is um, we're welcome to opening the teams back up. For next season, it's too late for this season, being that it's already almost halfway through August, and the girls only have about four or five players, and the men would be about half staff as well. Attention is now being shifted to getting both teams back on the ice for 2022-23. So kind of back to the drawing board as far as fundraising goes and seeing where else we could 
maybe keep pushing forward with that. And we have till December 15th to reach the specific goals this time of what they gave us um, to see if that following season next year is going to be realistic or not. About 1.34 million in pledges have been collected so far. The university has had 1.4 million in contributions and another 1.4 in pledges is needed by December 15th. Congratulations to Tony Brown, the voice of the Cleveland Monsters, who was selected as the recipient of the American Hockey League's James H. Ellery Memorial Award for the 2020-2021 season in recognition of outstanding media coverage of the AHL. Brown has served as the voice of the Monsters on radio, television, and the internet for the last six seasons, calling more than 400 games, including Cleveland's memorable Calder Cup championship run in 2016. Very well-deserved. Tony does a great job. Uh, we had him on the podcast. He told us it was not allowed to travel on the bus with the team due to COVID. Uh, so he drove himself to every road game. That's dedication. What official? <laughs> That's it. By the way, that is some good stuff when you go down to those games and they're like, minor league hockey crowd. We have an official timeout. What official? And then my other favorite, one minute, one minute remaining in the period. Thank you. <laughs> or how about when they bring the dogs down? Ding dong. <laughs> they release the, they show the mailman on the jumbotron. Yes. Unbelievable. Let's get on air with Columbus Blue Jackets, Jody Shelley. There is no better way to let the Ohio hockey community know about your program, product, or service than advertising on the Ohio Hockey Digest and the On Air Podcast. Contact Scott Harrington at 216-548-2345 or scott at ohiohockeydigest.com to find out how we can help you get the word out. Former NHL forward Jody Shelley began serving as the club's television color analyst on Bally Sports Ohio in 2014 and 15. In addition to his broadcast duties, the Columbus fan favorite is also actively engaged in various business and community initiatives for the organization. Shelley, who retired in 2013 after a career that spanned 16 years and over 600 NHL games, collected over 1,000 penalty minutes in a Columbus jersey, leading the team in penalty minutes four times and setting the club record for penalty minutes in a season with 249. He was also an active participant in the club's community initiative through the Columbus Blue Jackets Foundation and received the team's community service award for the 2006-2007 season. Please welcome on air Jody Shelley. So growing up, you were a typical Canadian born uh, with skates on. How old were you when you moved to Manitoba and started playing? So I was actually born in Manitoba. My dad was a miner. Uh, and then we moved from there to Vancouver Island, which is... Um, just west of, uh, of the coast of British Columbia. We, we were out there for uh, 12 years. I was actually 13 year old, years old when we moved from there to Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. And so I went out there, I was probably four years old when I started playing, uh, putting the skates on and, and playing on the ponds and the rivers. And then it was a very small uh, fishing, logging and mining town we were in uh, on the northern tip of Vancouver Island and uh, played against guys like Willie Mitchell um, you know, there was a couple guys out of that area, but, uh, just a lot of good small town hockey, a lot of travel to get hockey. Uh, but we didn't really do that until we were 10, 11 years old. 
So tell us a little bit about your experience in youth hockey, as you just did, and the path that you had to take to major junior hockey in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Yeah, well, it was kind of wild. And I, and I look back, I think everyone looks back at their career. It doesn't matter what they do. Uh, you look back and think, wow, that was, uh, I was pretty lucky that uh, those things all aligned the way they did. Uh, I was, so as I mentioned, my dad was a minor. My mom was a school teacher. We moved to Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, which is on the southern part of Nova Scotia. Um, started playing minor hockey there. And um, as a 17-year-old second-year midget, I went to Yarmouth High. Practiced uh, Monday nights from 10 to 10.50, and we played two games every weekend. So I was playing minor hockey, and there was a AAA team a few hours away in Bridgewater that wanted me to play, uh, but it was too far to go twice a week to practice. It was two and a half hours up, two and a half hours back, and then travel around Nova Scotia, uh, which is seven, eight hours to the tip uh, back. So it was too much. So my mom and dad didn't uh, think that that was necessary, so... I stayed in Yarmouth, played minor hockey, and I went to a selects camp, Hockey Night in Boston, in the summer of my uh, my 17-year-old year, and ended up uh, getting on the draft list back, from, back when there were 16 rounds. And that year, you know, you look back how things align, like I said earlier, the Halifax Mooseheads were coming to Nova Scotia that year. So it was uh, 94, I was just graduating, that summer came. And the Blue Jackets were ready for their inaugural year in Halifax in the Quebec Major Junior League. They'd never seen me play, but I was on the draft list and they were inviting 80 guys to camp. So they said, well, who's this kid from Yarmouth? I'll never forget. Donnie Matheson, the head scout, called me, uh, said, we'd love to invite you to camp. And I didn't understand the magnitude of what that meant. I actually said to him, uh, I said, well, I'll have to talk to my parents. I'll call you back. And I hung up on him. So <laughs> I had no idea what was going on. I was just a guy in the lobster fishing community with, you know, a simple way of life and, and um, ended up going to Halifax to work out in Dalhousie with some of the players that were in Dal and ended up uh, running into a guy named David Haynes, who told me that if I wanted to make an impression, I should learn how to fight. And I was like, dude, I don't, I've never fought in my life. I never you know, you don't fight when you play hockey. It was, I was a guy that just scored goals and put assists in on the two games in the weekend. You know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, I did have an opportunity in camp to go and I did okay. And I was a local guy at, at the right time and it worked out. And I figured out that was my vehicle to make that team. So I did that for three years and then made the most of it, I will say. And uh, from there, I got to play uh, professional hockey. So that was my springboard, but it all started uh, on Vancouver Island and Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. So that one fight where you weren't really sure what you were going to do. Yeah. You are aware you, you still hold the Halifax Mooseheads career penalty minute record, correct? 933. Yeah, that, that might be a tough one to break. Yeah. There was 425 one year. That was, uh, that, yeah. that was a lot of time in the, in the, in the penalty box, but yeah, that might be. Well, the, uh, you, your last season in, in, in Halifax, it says there you had a, you set the record with 420 minutes. You also scored 25 goals that season. Yeah. But yeah, you were was... you were beat out by one fight, it, it appears. Uh, Carlisle Lewis had 425 uh, two years later after uh, your your final season there. Oh, did he? Yeah, right on. Yeah, he was he was a busy guy when he played too. So, <laughs> so how would you action back then? How would you have done against him? I'm guessing you'd have won. Just a hunch. Yeah, we you know what we actually went against each other a couple times. It was, it was uh, yeah, he's a big guy, so I think I did okay against him. Okay. So we, we don't think of the Q as being a tough league, but who were some of the heavyweights you tussled with in junior hockey? Well, you know, 
the Quebec League is by far the, the toughest league, and it was the toughest league back then, and they had the best goalie. So put think about that. Think about that for a second. All huh. those goals I scored and all those fights I was in. <laughs> I mean, that's that, I've had that argument in the back of the bus in training camp. I remember when I was with – I went to the New York Rangers training camp in 97 uh, or 96, and, and um, maybe it was just before that. And, uh, you know, it was uh, Eric Cairns was there. Eric Bolton was there. I think Ryan Vandenbush was there. So we'd all talk about which league was toughest. And I always had to defend my Quebec league, but uh, you know, <laughs> uh, Peter Worrell was there. Gordy Dwyer was there. George LaRock was there. Um, Patrick Cote was one of the toughest guys. Joel Terrio there. I mean, those guys were, were some really tough individuals, you know, legends back in the league in those, in those days. And as far as the, how tough they were. So, um, got, you know, scary guys to fight. There was a guy, my first fight, I think ever, um, my first fight ever was with Jean-Luc Grandpierre, actually, who I work with here in Columbus he was <laughs> up in Valdor. Um, so that was pretty good. Uh, he was quick and, and big. Uh, I think he was a lefty, uh, but there were some guys, you know, legends of the game in junior that, uh, always, uh, always ready to go. So those are just a few names I, I dealt with over those three years. Well, speaking of legends, as I was looking up all those numbers, just a footnote here, 2002-2003, a kid named Mark andre Waugh set the Quebec League record with 653 penalties wow. in one season. Now, think about all the time you yeah, think all the time you spent in the box, <laughs> right, for 420 minutes, 653. And then two years later, he had 117 penalty minutes in six games in the uh, Southern Professional League. But wow. So, I, you know, you, there's a guy that understands his role to a team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you ended up playing a long time in the NHL, but it was a tough road. You played sparingly in the American League, your first year of pro hockey, and then spent two seasons in historic Johnstown, Pennsylvania, playing for the Chiefs. So first of all, can you tell us who owns the Chiefs? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, you knew you knew that was yeah, coming. You, you knew that. Uh, owns. You know, we watched oh, that well. movie every time we got on the bus, and we were on the bus <laughs> a lot. But Slapshot was always on. It was a part of it. I mean, if you were at the War Memorial in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, the organ is still up there from the movie. The guys up in the rafters playing the organ. Uh, the seats uh, or, or the stairs up to the office when he goes up to see uh, to talk to the owner. Or, or the the GM about what was going on. So great memories there. Great great videos, and we actually got to play with the Hanson brothers New Year's Eve. It was the first time they were back since they shot the movie. Uh, it was a whole spectacle, and the whole town was out. So we were the Chiefs, and we were the Chiefs all the time when I played in Johnson. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> That's awesome, and you and a great old barn. Where were oh, some of the other old barns uh, that you played in in the East Coast League? Well, uh, Dayton had, I think they played out of the Nutter Center, um, which was, it was great, but it was kind of big, uh, and the clock was set up for basketball, so that was strange that it was always off-center of the clock. Uh, Roanoke, West Virginia had a place that, uh, it just seemed like the fans were on top of you, crazy, and one of the worst was Columbus, Ohio, the fairgrounds, where I played against the Columbus Chill. I mean, <laughs> it smelled like house. <laughs> I remember the smell distinctly. And the first time I was in it since I played there in 98 was, um, I think, two years ago. My son had a practice there. And I walked in. I'm like, yep, this is, uh, <laughs> this is the fairgrounds in Columbus, Ohio. This is exactly where I remember getting pelted with, I don't know if it was water bottles or Frisbees. Something, something was given away that night. 
And I remember distinctly being on the bus. I didn't know where I was because when you're a pro athlete, you just grab your, uh, in the minors, you just grab your pillow and your blanket and get on the bus and wherever it stops, you get off, get your gear, play hockey. And I remember the Levesque Tower and I remember what it looked like as we were leaving on 70 uh, to head east. And I was thinking, Columbus, Ohio, I'll never be back in this town again. <laughs> Isn't it funny how things work out? <laughs> so was it hard to keep the dream alive, uh, being sent down uh, twice? And looking back, was that a step developmentally that you needed to take to be able to move back up? Yeah, you know, as a young guy uh, that, you know, needed to work on his skating and really didn't know if I ever would fit in the National Hockey League, um, you know, I was in a situation where in, in college, so in the Quebec League, for every year you play, you get a year of Canadian uh, college scholarship. So that was a big deal. I had three years paid for after my three years um, playing for the, the Halifax Mooseheads. But if you sign a pro contract, it's gone. So here I was living in Johnstown, Pennsylvania with no other options. I didn't have an education. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do. I had to try to make this work. And a couple of times that I got sent down uh, from Syracuse, um, I understood that there was a role for me. So I was very fortunate. Of course, I didn't want to go down. Um, the year that I played my, my first game, the, the, the second half of the season, the inaugural season, 2000, 2001, I got to play one game. I'll never forget the team was going to the West Coast the next day. And I was thinking, wow, maybe I'll get to go to California you know, for the first time in my life. But I remember the travel guy came over and gave me the ticket and said, all right, nice job tonight. You're going back to Syracuse. Uh, it's always discouraging to get sent down. But when you look at those moments and you see what happened, and, and I had Gary Agnew in the minors who was working with me. He was the head coach. I had Scotty Allen in Johnstown when I was there working with me on foot speed and just you know, getting better every day. Um, it's exactly what I needed. And, and young kids never understand that, but it's so valuable to be on the bus, grind it out, be in a city where – uh, you know, things aren't as glamorous. You're not on the jet. You're not at the big restaurants and, and going to the big steakhouses uh, because when you make it up, it's, it's that much better. So it was a, a definite part of, of what I needed uh, for my career. You know, I think that's a <clears throat> powerful statement, which you made, which you made right there uh, to our young listeners here about that. Like you got to put the work in in order to get to where you want to go. You mentioned there that, that, you know, you were sitting there at one point thinking to yourself, I may not get uh, into the NHL. I may not move forward. I don't have an education. Can you just talk real quick? And I'm kind of going off script here, which is fine. Talk to us a little bit about your thoughts on uh, guys that go NCAA or guys that go Quebec major or, you know, Quebec major junior, wherever it may be, or OHL or whatever it may, may be. Um, you know, cause I, I don't, I mean, we've talked to many guys who played in the NHL from both aspects. Yeah. You know, so can you give us your thought process on that? Well, I'll tell you what, as a young man, um, not knowing what your future holds, if you can get a scholarship at a U.S. college, it's a big deal. I mean, it is it is a great route to go. Uh, you know, there's no rush for you to get on, get in and play professional hockey. You can take your time and learn. Um, you also get an education to fall back on. And then when you look at the Canadian Hockey League, which is the Quebec League, the Ontario Hockey League, and the Western Hockey League combined, that's major junior. It's such a glimpse of what it's like to play professional hockey. I can't tell you how many times I've said the NHL is like major junior hockey, except the travel is better. The food is better. And Oh yeah, the paycheck is better because we made $80 a week in, in uh, major junior. So it was much better than that, Canadian. but Canadian, exactly. So, you know, 
I like both. I have a 12 year old son. If he was fortunate enough to play and have an opportunity, um, if he was a later round pick or a free agent and he got to play in, in U.S. college, it gives him longer time to develop. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. But also, if you're in, if you're touted in the major juniors, you know, you're already on the radar at a young age. So there's a lot of development that happens quickly there as far as number of games played, uh, learning the toughness of the travel and trying to fit in it as a schedule. So both have their advantages. But as a dad, I'd, I'd probably want my son to play uh, U.S. college at this point. Great. Appreciate that. So let's get kind of back to uh, some stuff about you and, and your role. Um, you know, there are guys who had jobs back then, I guess, still now, not so much, uh, because they could fight. Do you consider the term goon an offensive term in the NHL? Depends on who says it to me. Or, or you know, I, I, well, I don't really... know too many guys that would say it to you, Jody. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Listen, I, I unfortunately had, I had that question, so I'm not saying it, but, you know. <laughs> No, I, um, I really don't. I, I don't, I wouldn't call someone a goon. I wouldn't be like, oh, you know, he's a goon. Um, but back, you know, I was, I was, a, I was a goon. You know, I was, uh, I was a guy that, uh, it, it's a more offensive term now, I guess. I, I don't know. I, I have no offense to it. I didn't when I played, I got introduced that way. It was just, okay, whatever, you know, that's just whatever you want to call it, call it what you will. Um, but, you know, I just was a guy who stuck up for my teammates, myself, tried to uh, create some uh, adrenaline, some juice in the buildings. Uh, but, no, I don't, I don't get caught up in, uh, in, in those labels. So a, a lot of our listeners are modern-day hockey listeners, right? So they, they, you know, don't remember those times back uh, in, in hockey. So can you give us a, an example of when a fight actually served a great purpose, uh, maybe yours or, or one in, in, you know, in particular in NHL, and that could help a team? Well, there's a few different scenarios and, and um, you know, Friday night nationwide arena, 19,000 fans in the building. Um, the Rangers are in town, the buzz is around nationwide arena. And within three minutes, we're down to nothing. And our fans are there and, you know, the beer is still, still full, the hot dogs still hot on their lap. It's like, okay. Uh, you, so there's a, there's a message to be sent to uh, the players on our team which, you know, kind of like, oh, what's going, what are we going to do tonight? This is going to be a long night. So kind of send that message. We're going to push back. So I would go out, find a tough guy, antagonize, get the crowd on their feet, get them to drop the gloves, stop the play, and we would go at it. And I would try to knock his head off. And usually there'd be blood somewhere. Um, the fans would be re-energized, probably my blood. Uh, fans would be re-energized. The building would be back on their feet. Uh, and then, you know, uh, time many times our team would go out and score a goal and we gave momentum back so there's a little bit of a stand a little bit of momentum a little bit of passion a little bit of say hey you know we're the blue jackets we're not going anywhere you know and a lot of times you go in the locker room and you know the coach would come in I remember these moments and it was kind of embarrassing but the coach would be like this guy is out there taking a beating and you guys are still you guys aren't going yet look at this guy I wish he, we, we all had the heart like him you know those are the moments where you're like oh I'm just trying to stay in the league you know what i'm trying to get the fans going here but it was important part of the team uh, important important role for the team um another one you know that's just a, a broad example of, of of momentum um when i went to san jose steve ott went after um joe thornton and he got joe thornton to, to drop the gloves and and um i don't know if that was in the first period or the second period but the next time um 
the next time I had a chance and Steve Ott was on the ice, I stood up on the bench and I said to our head coach, Todd McCollum, I said, I'm going right now. And he said, what? I said, I'm going right now and I'm not coming back. And he looked, he goes, oh, okay. I went over, I jumped Steve Ott and I wanted him, but more importantly, the National Hockey League to know, you're not messing with Joe Thornton. Joe Thornton's not going to fight you. You're not going to go out there and try to intimidate and you're not going to get him to drop the gloves like that. You know, there was just something about it. It ended up being a fun night because we had uh, fight after fight after fight after fight. I think it ended up Patty Marlowe even ended up in the locker room with us after fighting. We were all in Dallas. And that's always a fun, uh, but it was just camaraderie in it when you got guys in the locker room uh, watching the game and, and you see a fight and someone else walks in and you cheer together. Next, you got eight <laughs> guys back there. It's hard to explain, but uh, there's just something about sticking up for each other and sticking up for yourself that, that really galvanizes a team and, and, and makes you feel good about each other. So those two things were great. And I always used to love, you know, when Rick, I just knew that Rick uh, Nash or Joe Thornton, uh, just by a look they gave me, appreciated having me around and doing what I was doing just to, you know, they, they want some space. You know, there were sometimes some guys would say things to them and I would always quickly get, get back and stand up for them. So th those are, it's nice to be a part of that, uh, that culture where you stick up for each other and, 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 you know, bring momentum and play with emotion. I love it. Sure. So what were, what were your thoughts, I guess, to get off topic, but what, what were your thoughts on what transpired this past season between uh, Washington and New York? You know, I didn't love it. I, and I've had this argument with a lot of former players and, and, and my, my view is when I got in the scrum, I knew if I had, I knew with my grip strength or I knew from what I felt from the other guy, um, if it was Marion Gabrick or Donald Brashear, you know what I mean? Yep. And there's a certain way I would go at a, uh, in a scrum with Donald Brashear because probably I'd be scared. Right. And wondering if, you know, if he was going to put the lights out on me or if it's Gabrick. And so for me, um, um, and this may sound, uh, you know, whatever, but I just thought I, I didn't love it. I thought Tom Wilson took it a little too far. And uh, I love Tom Wilson. I've, I've been at a golf tournament with him. He seems like a great guy. Uh, he knows his role on the ice. I know he's very hated. He's a valuable guy in the league, especially to the Capitals. He makes them uh, what they are. Um, but I, did, I didn't love it. I thought that Tom could have let up a little bit. Uh, and, 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 you know, I did think I always, I always try to look at all sides. And I wasn't sure if he, he would seen Panarin do that kickboxing or, or some of that MMA stuff that he trains with. And maybe he was worried that Panarin was going to slip a little, uh, little right in on him because he was way, to me, it was way too forceful in what he did with Panarin in the corner. And I just think there's a certain level of respect you have to have for those stars in those scrums, uh, especially when you know you have the, a major advantage in size and strength. So then how about uh, New York's response to, the, to it? Well, there's a lot there. I mean, the way they just, they're still responding. So, uh, you know, they're overcompensating, I think. I like, you know, I, I like that they, I think Reeves, I think it's a great pickup. I, I just think yeah. that, you know, third round pick, uh, I kind of wish we would have got him. But, um, you know, it's understanding the dynamic of having that in your, in your locker room. So for me, Drew, did a nice job of going to get him. Um, and why not? You know, you're, you're, uh, it makes a statement. It, it puts, uh, it, to me, it's the biggest thing is for the locker room. You know, the guys in the locker room now, 
Uh, you got a guy and, and a guy that, uh, you know, he's our guy. It's kind of, it would be fun just to watch warm up, I guess, in their first game. And they play early, really early in the season. So, uh, you know, those things are great. I love that. Anyone, uh, any dynamic where it's kind of payback or see what happens, it, it's fun to see. Yeah. So one last question about the whole fighting. You know, what's your thoughts on fighting in today's game compared to when you played? You know, has it disappeared on its own? Has it been forced to disappear? So, you know, can you give us your thoughts on that? You know, it's it's been forced a little bit, and I don't mind it. There's been a there's been an evolution of, of fighting. Okay, so you know, the young guys got to wear visors when they come in the league. Um, you know, uh, the concussion awareness, uh, the optics of it. I get it. I totally get it. Um, but I still like the fact that the players are able to have to to be able to stand up for each other. I love the fact that the players are able to drop their gloves. Um, it's never as bad as what you think. And that may, that, that's coming from a guy who uh, I had, you know, what, 170 fights in the NHL. I don't know if I had 170 in minors. I had, I don't know how many in junior. You know, so I've had a bunch of fights, but the anxiety of going into a fight, it's never as bad as what you think. And there's always a way to get out of it. You know what I mean? Um, but I, I don't mind the way it's evolved. I think that the onus is on the players. So listen, I didn't, if I could have evolved into being a, uh, a, just a player, a third line player, it would have been awesome. You know what I mean? I would have done my fighting and then evolved and then tried to fight once every 10 games, not once every three games or once every 25 games, not once every uh, three games. Um, but to stay, um, to use a Mike Rupp term relevant in the league, I had to keep, uh, I, had to, I had to stay fresh. I had to keep fighting. Um, so, you know, I had to be, on top of my game. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want the coach or someone think that I was just going to play and skate away from it. So I stayed on it to make sure I had that cooking all the time. Uh, and I see the players now, they don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. So if you don't have to do it, if I'm not going out there and challenging Tom Wilson, every time we play and Tom Wilson has the option to say no, then you know what? It's kind of falling by the wayside, which is, you know, kudos to those guys. They're able to play a regular shift, not have to deal with it, but still bring that intimidating presence. Um, you know, I, I, I like what it brings. So to, to go back to that, um, you know, you did score 25 goals uh, in, in a season one year. You know, when did you accept that that wasn't going to be your role, the third line, as you just talked about? Um, you know, when did that become a reality for you? And then... <laughs> It's a funny story. Um, sorry if I cut you off, but I, I was. Oh, I no, you're chuckle. fine. I have to chuckle because I was uh, 18 years old. My first major junior training camp didn't know what was going on. And I had made it through the first round of cuts. So we were five days in. So I was feeling really good about myself. I'd had one fight and turned some heads and made it past the first cut. And the assistant coach grabbed me in the lobby and brought me back down to reality. And well, all he said to me was, and this is when I was 18. All he said was, you know, uh, we have out of 80 guys or 60 guys left, we probably have 40, five foot seven, five foot nine, quick skilled guys. Um, you know, we're, we're going to have to make some decisions, a lot of big decisions on those guys, but we don't have many guys that play big. And he kind of paused and looked at me and I was, the light bulb went on over my head. I said, oh. And from that moment on, I realized that my vehicle to make that team was to do what I did. And through there, I made a reputation. And then when you get in the National Hockey League, you know, there are times when you think, I'm just going to play. I just want to play. I just get, you know, I'm just going to be a player this year. 
but I just would not allow myself to do it. It was what I was, it was how I got there and it was how I was going to stay there. And, and even at the end of my career, um, I understood what I brought to the locker room and on the ice. And that, that was just who I was. I would have loved to have been able to play. I think I said it the other day. I would have loved to have evolved. I was talking actually with Jared Bull. Uh, would have loved to have evolved into just a player, but we didn't have the mentality to do it. We just couldn't get away from the fighting. It was, it was available and it's what we had to do. So you moved on to play in some pretty big and uh, great NHL cities like San Jose, uh, New York, and Philadelphia. What drew you back to Columbus? Well, definitely my wife. My wife, Mandy's from the Hocking Hills, uh, just an hour and a half south of here. Um, so, you know what? Uh, married a girl from here. My parents live in Edmonton, Alberta, and I love Edmonton, but it just, the summer doesn't start until much too late. Uh, those two factors were pretty big, but I think the biggest was how I identified with the city, how the city identified with me, how I made roots here early. Uh, I was devastated when I got traded to San Jose. I, I didn't understand it. I was very upset. Uh, but minutes later, uh, after I got traded and I heard the door click on the, uh, on, on the, uh, on the way out of, of Nationwide Arena that night, I realized I was a part of something different. And, um, you know, I just, but, but I always had this real connection with the Columbus Blue Jackets, what they mean to me, what the city means to me, what the city meant to Mr. Mack, the ownership, the fans. I don't know. It's just a part of people think it's a, uh, it's a, it definitely is a blue collar portion, but it's definitely a mover and shaker in, in, in all business. So I just love it. I, I, I've always loved the area. I uh, wish it had a, a nice big lake, like up in Canada, then it would be the perfect spot, uh, you know, big clear lake to be able to swim in all the time. But um, other than that, it, it's a perfect spot for me. What's your favorite secret food spot to go to there in Columbus? You know what? Uh, I spent a lot of time at Cap City Diner. I mean, I've always been, even when I was a single guy, I lived down on the, um, I lived downtown in the short north. I used to sneak over to Cap City. Maybe it's like the, you know, they always have good soups, good pies, things like that. Things that like mom used to make back home. So I think it's the home cooking of there. I love it. So the youth and high school hockey scene in Columbus is booming. Thanks in some part to the contributions of former Blue Jackets players like yourself. We have Jack Roslovic and Sean Corelli coming back to play in Columbus. Uh, that's absolutely awesome for the town and, and for them. And we just saw a AAA Blue Jacket 16U player, uh, Will Elger, commit to Providence College over the weekend. Do you ever get a chance to get on the ice and do any clinics or coaching? You know what? I don't do it enough. I mean, I do, I do coaching with my son. So he played house hockey, he played A hockey. Now he's playing double A. So I get to get out there and coach with him a little bit. He's starting to, it's starting to irritate him a bit to have dad out there. He <laughs> doesn't like the car rides. He doesn't like me out there all the time. So I'm the, I'm the assistant coach. I try to help out when I can. Um, we do to get out to see the Blue Jackets um, uh, hockey school when it's out there. Um, I try to help out wherever I can in, in, in minor hockey, but not enough. You know, I feel like there's so much we could, we could help out with. I, I see um, teams and, and minor hockey teams with RJ Umberger, Derek Dorsett's kids are on it. Uh, there's a lot of, of guys now. We have 15 local alumni that live here, uh, which is tremendous. And all their kids are playing hockey, so, or a lot of them are. So that's all good. But to answer your question, I do get out there when I can with my son, but, but mostly um, not as much as I'd like to. Oh, real quick, I want to go back to one one question because I I mean I appreciate the fact that you know we, we see towns like St. Louis when, it come, when we're talking about youth hockey. St. Louis has boomed because of all the alumni that have that have stayed there in Columbus. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to get back to a very important question. Which is, it's a restaurant question. <laughs> uh, in the North Market, they put in a new Nashville hot chicken. Have you been there yet? I have not. That's the one upstairs, right? Every time yeah. I go, the lineup is way too long. 
and I'm usually looking for a quick lunch. I've yeah, not it's, it's well worth the, the wait. Okay. Okay. Awesome. I'm, I'm at yeah. the convention center all the time for uh, my daughter's volleyball. And I always stand there for the wait. It's, it's the real deal. Okay. That's good advice. I'll take you up on that. There you go. So to talk about, uh, you know, your current career, we're, we're still trying to figure out this broadcasting thing. So do you have any tips for us? How do you get comfortable behind the microphone when you're new to it? Yeah, because this is a total amateur show that we got going on over here. No, you guys are doing a great job. I, you know what? I like watching people public speak. And what I mean is I've always enjoyed when I leave a room, you know, you know, when you see people do motivational speaking or public speaking, it's always amazing to me how comfortable they are, how confident they are, uh, and how curious they are. I really enjoy that. So I've tried to work on those three things. I like to try to stay curious. Um, you know, Seth Jones, I got to do an interview with him last year, right at the end of the year. It's the last game of the year. And I didn't have a clue what I was going to ask him. But seconds before he put the headset on, I thought, I'm just going to ask him what I'd like to know. What I'd like to know about Seth. Like, what, what is happening? What do you think about this? What, what about, how, you know, where does this lead? Stay curious. It's, it's a, I think it's a, you're in a great position to be able to ask questions for people that are watching. You know, get, give us an inside peek and, 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 and ask questions. I don't think people will get offended. I think you just ask whatever you want. And, and, and um, that, that's always good to do. You know, be confident and you got to have, you got to be on, got to know your stuff. I think that's very important to be able to do your homework. I think it's pretty quick. If you don't do your homework, how quick the people can see through that. So I spend a lot of time talking to different people, uh, people in this broadcasting area. I watch a lot of different people. I, I, I make phone calls and, and all day long on game day to try to figure out uh, and get a feel for teams coming in. So I really enjoy the work part of it. It's not work. It's, it's more like uh, I'm a hockey fan. So I get geeked up to talk hockey. And when I call my, my teammates of the past or, or people in different broadcasting areas. I love to get their opinion, whether I agree with it or not. I want to see what sides of the table are. So um, that those three things I love about it. Did, well, did you find it was easier uh, interviewing players because you are were a player? No, no, oh. brutal. And I talked to Boucher, Brian Boucher, about it with it all the time. Uh, to him about that. It's intimidating because you want now you're on the other side of the mic right you used to just sit down and talk and, and it's funny when I do interviews I used to think I don't even I didn't really even answer the question did I like and, and I'm thinking like as an interviewer I'm like is he even going to listen to the question I feel like they're just going to talk about whatever they want but I've been on the bench after the game uh interviewing a player live in front of the fans for tv and I while he's answering a question I just see his lips moving. I can't hear a word he's saying. I'm thinking, I got nothing. I don't know what I'm going to ask this guy. I can't hear what he's saying. I don't understand. <laughs> but there has to be more of a trust. That, that's, I guess that was the point of my question was there has to be a different level of trust with the players to you versus the players to, say, someone else that has never for a split second played this game in their life. You know what? I don't know. I, I, I still think if you ask a dumb question, uh, they're, they're going to – maybe they'll – I don't know. I think they'd still come at you a little bit. It's intimidating, but uh, maybe there is a little bit there. You know, maybe we, I had a little fun. I used to have fun with Cam on the bench like that. Nick too. I got to know him quite a bit here. Uh, so those things are nice, but I, 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 I think there is, but I, I don't give myself that credit. It's kind of like, Oh, you know what I mean? Here we go. Uh, I hope this works type of thing. So it, it's still fun. It's still intimidating. It's still something I'm working at. 
So during the season, uh, you're constantly coming into contact with guys you played against who are now coaches, scouts, broadcasters, yeah. or what have you. And their point of reference for, for you is probably having you terrorize them on the ice. Yeah. So I know they know it's part of the business. You know it's part of the business. Guys don't take it too personally. But has that ever been awkward the first time you saw somebody uh, for the first time after a you plane? You know what? I think. It, it has been a couple times and it's uh you know it's funny like so i you know you talk to you see george the rock and and he he was saying how much uh fighting bothered him and i'm thinking george you never lost a fight you never got cut i lost every fight and i got cut every fight so you know who's having it tough but um there i loved it when i saw a couple guys and um i forget who it was but the way they thought of me, they were like, oh, Columbus, a Shelly, every time. They're like, you never, ever, ever took a night off. You wanted to go every single night. And I was kind of like, really? You guys thought that? And they're like, oh, yeah, you were intimidating. You were tough to get along with. You would say, you know, the right thing to get things going. You'd say it in front of the coach. I was like, oh, I just wanted to get things going. So it's fun to revisit those moments and see how they saw me. I'm kind of really, uh, it really makes me chuckle. Uh, but as far as getting awkward, I think there was a player recently, I forget who it was, who I went at him too hard, just too, too much verbally. And, and I remember um, I saw him, everything was fine. But for me, I think I actually apologized for like, hey, man, I'm sorry. I was, you know, I was just trying to get, get, things, get the boys fired up or get things going. And, he, you know, they're like, oh, it was fine. No problem. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. Uh, I forget who it was. But, yeah, those are the worst ones when, you know, you've said something and you probably shouldn't say uh, to get someone off or get them rattled or, or to have a joke. And then you look back now and you think, well, what was I doing? But uh, so, I think we all went through that back then. Yeah. And you did some work with the uh, NHL network during the playoffs. So I assume they didn't have to keep you and Rupper separated. <laughs> no, it's funny. So, you know, Mike, Mike had a mic on in, in the HBO and, and he pulls out this word irrelevant. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like what you, who, I've never heard anyone use that in a scrum. First of all, it's rehearsed. So I was like dumbfounded by it because he knew he had, he knew he had a mic on and I knew he had a mic on too. But um, so it's funny when I first did, uh, they used to do the arena cam hits uh, for the NHL network, you know, where you stand there yep. and you look up at the camera. So I think, and I told the guys in the locker room to watch, I said, uh, Oh, my dog's in there with a toy. Yeah, it's really? a, it's a great, the dog's been trying to get in the entire yeah, interview. Yeah. So we, we can see it behind you. And he's been trying to get in the entire interview. That's Millie. He likes to be on camera. Little anyways, um, our listener, it's a beautiful golden retriever. Yeah. So I told uh, I told the guys to listen in the locker room. And I, you know, every time Mike asked a question, I used the word irrelevant three or four times. In all <laughs> and he was busting out laughing. And we've worked together since. And, you know, he, he's a Paul, you know, I think, you know, we've talked about it and he's, you know, I think he's apologized or just kind of, we laughed it off and it's no big deal. You know, I, but I did get to get back at him for that. Cause that was HBO flyers, Rangers. Um, you know, he made me look like kind of silly and I didn't love that, but, um, and then he scored uh, in Philly in the outdoor game during that series, that uh, HBO series and did the Yager salute. So he knew it was coming next time. I think it was my last fight uh, in Philly. I made sure, and he knew it was coming. I, I got him right where I wanted him. So we're all good. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, let's talk a little uh, Columbus Blue Jackets, man. What's your what's your thoughts on the current state of the Blue Jackets, man? They're, they're going through some changes right now. Yeah. I mean, let's start with the coaching change. Yeah. Well, the, you know, Torts did a great job here. And, and we all love John Tortorella. I think anyone that's got to be able to follow this team appreciates what he brought here for an identity, uh, for the way they played on the ice. And I was so impressed that they, they picked Brad Larson to be the head coach, impressed in the fact that Larson interviewed three times. He's been here for almost a decade. So they know this guy. But something about the way he approaches the game, something about the way he is not John Tortorella, and I say that with all due respect to Torts, but you don't, you don't want a guy that's the assistant from, to a guy who comes in and thinks he's going to be a certain way. And I think of Mike Sullivan, who separated himself from, from Tortorella and went to Pittsburgh and did a heck of a job. So, you know, I think Larson is a bright guy, obviously. I think he took notes under torts, what he liked and what he didn't like. I think he's got a great relationship with the players. Uh, he's a very hardworking, thought-out guy. So I like the fact that they're giving him a chance uh, here with this team. I think it's very important because I think that, first of all, he understands Columbus, Ohio, but under, he also understands the Blue Jackets and what this is, what's, what it's supposed to be like here. And I think that's a key for leadership uh, in the heat of the game. So that, to me, is a positive um, you mentioned as as the, go go ahead. I'm sorry. As far as the team, it's in transition. You know, Cam Atkinson, I know a lot of people are bummed about that. Of course, Cam was a guy who cemented himself in this community, but he's been here for 10 years. And does he need to be a guy that helped that, that's going to help reshape these new guys that are here? Um, I love the fact that Boone gets way more responsibility. I love the fact that Zach now is the man. He gets responsibility. He locks it down here. Sean Corrali, to me, is a no-brainer. What a good person, a good, hardworking guy. So when I think of good people, um, and I think of young people like Cole Sillinger, who's just got picked here in, in, in the first round, I play with his dad, I get excited of the pedigree of person that's going to be around this, this organization. So they're, they're going to do it again. They're going to do it better, and, and, and I, it's going to be sustainable this time, and I think that's exciting. They're gonna, listen, People ask me, are they going to be a playoff team? I can't say that right now. This is a heck of a division. And, and my answer is probably uh, they'd be lucky to make the playoffs. Very lucky. But they're going to be fun to watch. And they're going to be exciting now. And they're going to be even more exciting in the future. Um, I used to hate hearing that out of the Blue Jackets when I got traded from here. I don't want to hear about the future. I want to hear about the now. But right now, this is where they're at. This is what they have to do. And they've got some really good pieces uh, that's going to surprise a lot of teams this year. So if you can just kind of speak on two different situations uh, quickly, the Seth Jones trade and the, the line A situation uh, in the organization. Well, Seth Jones, that was disappointing. You know, I mean, Seth Jones was a guy who was brought in here from Nashville. He's been here for six years. Um, would have loved to have seen him be more of a cornerstone piece maybe earlier in, the, in his run here, but it didn't work out. That's not how it was. He wasn't, he, he was a leader, but, um, you know, he, he was a guy that was, that was a piece of, of, uh, an eight, eight person core, I think. Um, he's got an opportunity now to be a free agent and, uh, there's a lot of value in that. And if this team was winning or on the cusp of winning or building still, I really believe, uh, building a winner. I mean, I really believe that Seth would be a part of it. Uh, but you know, he's at a point in his career where he can go to a city, uh, that he's uh, excited about play with his brother and play with Patrick Kane, and that's his right. So uh, Boquist is a good player. I like Boquist. I think he is an interesting guy coming in. He's a defenseman. He's a player that uh, plays the game with poise, and I think he's a guy that's going to fit in with this group nicely. Um, 
you know, it's too bad. I was disappointed to see him have to leave, but uh, unfortunately that's where that ended up and uh, the Blue Jackets will move on and they'll be fine. Uh, it's a big hole, but let's see what's that. Let's see what Zach Wierenski does now. Let's see where his, his head's at and where he goes. Uh, could be an exciting time for him. Um, and then as far as what was the second part of your question? Sorry. <laughs> uh, the, the line A situation. Yeah. You know, that was disappointing. You know, I'm a fan. Uh, Millie. I'm a fan. And, Dog's a fan uh, of that bleaker too. Yeah, I know. It's her new toy. <laughs> so I, I, I wanted to see him shoot the puck more. Um, you know, is Jake brought in to get him the puck? I know Jake's, Jake's a guy that, you know, you'd rather see him shoot a couple times more, but he's a passer and he worked well with Claude Giroux and they were completely on the same page. So um, I can't completely give Line a pass, a, a total pass on last year. I thought there was a lot there that, you know, you'd like to see more out of him, maybe just more determined to get that shot off or more determined to, to you know, he, he had a lot of offensive zone time. He had a lot of time, offensive zone tar, starts. He was putting in some great situations with Seth, Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski uh, to get that shot off. He just didn't do it very often. So to me, he didn't look totally engaged. Uh, I know people are talking about, well, it was a weird year and separation. I, I, you know, I'm not buying that. So We'll see what happens when he starts the season here. I hope there's a lot more. With with this, I guess, revamping of the team, if you will, what do you think the Blue Jackets need to take that next step? They, they've been, and obviously, I understand rebuild. I get that, but they've been so close to getting over a hump. Maybe not the full to the finals hump yet, but what do you think they need inside the organization to make that happen? Well, you know, everyone talks about the number one centerman. You need, you need three good centermen. You need three good centermen who understand their roles. You need a power play that works. Um, you need a little bit of, uh, a little bit of swagger and it takes time to get that. And, you know, that was something that Torch talked about all the time here and, and it's going to take time to get, but I think, you know, Rostovic's the number one center now. I mean, they're, they're, he's not even a real natural center or he hasn't been in Winnipeg. So, I think that um, they need three good centermen and, and some core pieces to build around them. Maybe it's a superstar. And the next two drafts have players uh, that you can sit back and, and admire for, for decades and, and change the way everything is done. So um, that's what I think they need. Maybe it's a superstar. Come here. Come here. <laughs> Maybe it's a superstar. Maybe it's a, a – sorry, guys. Maybe it's a oh, hey. Uh, listen, this is this is how our podcast goes, man. We're as amateur as amateur guests, man. This market's imperfect for us. Uh, it's funny, but I think the, you know it'd be so great to get a real superstar in here. One like you know, Panarin was that guy. I thought, um, but to but the guy you know, you look at Colorado. Um, they picked up some uh, some amazing players in the, in the past in those drafts. McCarr is incredible. Uh, Nathan McKinnon is dynamic and pulls you out of your seat. Those are the players that are threats that push teams back and really have to game plan for the blue jackets need some of that. Jody, we thank you for joining us tonight. Um, taking time out of your busy schedule uh, and sitting down with us. It's been great. Uh, what's the dog's name, by the way, Millie, Millie Shelley. She's right here. She's Look at, Millie's even in the picture right there. I love it. Yeah. So Jody, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, giving your insight, giving us your little background uh, and then insight on the Columbus blue jackets. Uh, and uh, we hope to talk soon. All right, guys, my pleasure. Keep up the great work, and, uh, you know, that was a lot of fun. Sorry about all the squeaking, but, uh, oh, you know, that's – We would that, have it no other way, man. We'd have it no other way. <laughs> so, all I right. appreciate it. 
There is no better way to let the Ohio hockey community know about your program, product, or service than advertising on the Ohio Hockey Digest and the On Air Podcast. Contact Scott Harrington at 216-548-2345 or scott at ohiohockeydigest.com to find out how we can help you get the word out. Well, we want to thank Jody Shelley for coming on and uh, spending some time with us uh, today. Man, 171 fights or whatever he said. I think he said, I don't know if that's accurate, but he said 171 fights in the league and probably another 170 in juniors for a guy that wanted to play hockey and didn't want to fight, found his way, found his role. Um, You know, and I appreciate his honesty about fighting and about what it plays, the role it plays in the game of hockey at any level. And, and, you know, the guy made a living fighting, but you can surely tell that that wasn't his passion. His passion was to be a hockey player, but he found his way to be a hockey player. Found his way to contribute. Yeah. Right. And he made it sound like he lost most of his fights. I'm not sure that that's, that's not true. That's we we false. know that's not true. It's so false. It's crazy. We know that's not true. No, the, the, you know, some of the things that stuck out to me, one is humility to the fact of, you know, you, when you asked the question about, does the does the term goon offend you? And in listening to him answer it his way, what I took from that was, it's only offensive if you don't understand the role that that enforcer, if you will, has in a hockey game. And it is very important. And how it's transitioned, he even spoke on it, how it's transitioned to now, where there's less of a enforcer role as a guy that can chip in with multiple points, yet is the first guy that has to go stick up for his teammates, i.e. someone like a Tom Wilson. Um, just, I mean, the fact that we just sat here for the last 45 minutes talking to Jody Shelley and, and he graced us with his time. And it was just a, I mean, he's just, it was fun to talk to, you know, and fun I to and, learn behind the scenes. Right. And, and I, I love the fact that he said that he fell in love with the city of, well, I mean, he fell in love with his wife, obviously, and, and okay. she's from Ohio, but he fell in love with the city and the way they embraced them. And, you know, I, I think it's important that our listeners understand that, you know, let's go back to youth hockey here in Ohio, high school hockey, junior, uh, uh, like U18s, U16s, U15s, junior hockey. Columbus is not rising. Oh. They're arri- they have arrived. Yeah. They've arrived because of all, what do you say, 12 alumni? have 15, said, 15, yeah. 15, 15 alumni have settled back in Columbus. Their kids are playing. They're contributing to the betterment of hockey. And you, I mean, I talked about earlier with, with him, St. Louis was the same way. And that doesn't count the, 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 uh, division one guys that stayed Yeah, that had, you know, great NCAA careers and stuck. Yeah. So it just, it, you know, I, again, we appreciate Jody coming on and spending that time. And, and again, I, I just, it, it's, it's amazing, not amazing to me, but I mean, what we do, what we started to do 15, 18 months ago and we get these guys that have played in the NHL now working for the Columbus Blue Jackets coming on our podcast, but they want to, they want to speak the truth. They want to talk about the good things of the game. Yep. You know, and it's great. It's, it's phenomenal. I mean, it was, that was, I had so much fun listening to him uh, talk tonight. Yep. He had some pointers for us. So that's good. We can put, yeah. we can apply those in upcoming episodes. Oh yeah. Well, I was, I was a little worried since I've been gone, Danny, that I was going to be a little uh, rusty <laughs> Um, so I'll have to go back and listen to this one. So to our listeners, I apologize if I apologize if I was rusty, but according to Danny, I've been gone for a long time. So, and he also, I think, uh, reinforced the the uh, rule of rule of thumb that the more 
with hockey player, pro hockey players, I certainly found in my time when I was working in pro hockey, the more the guys fought, the nicer they were off the ice. Right. And uh, that certainly, I think, is, uh, goes with him as well. Absolutely. A gracious guy and, and, and a, uh, just a pleasure to have a conversation with. Danny, I see you unmuted, unmuted yourself. You want to say something or no? <laughs> Um, no, I'm good. Okay. Best in the business. <laughs> so we've been teasing the conversation with Dylan Duke of the U S national development program for a few weeks now. Uh, we have to had to reschedule him a few times. We're going to give the Tampa Bay lightning draft pick a chance to get settled at the university of Michigan and then circle back with him next month. We've lined up Kent state university head coach, Zach Nowak and the ACHA executive director, Craig Barnett for future episodes. Check www.ohiohockeydigest.com for the full lineup of upcoming guests. Continuing to grow the game as best as we can. This is On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast.